For this special episode of SRAMcast, we've partnered with Live Cycling to share a panel discussion from the 2019 Sea Otter Classic. The event was titled, A Seat at the Table, and included ambassadors, athletes, technicians, and engineers. Panel members discussed their views on the current state of diversity within the sport of cycling and how to expand it. Panel members included SRAM ambassador, live racing athlete, and owner of EquipBrownFox.com, Aisha McGowan. Bike mechanic and service specialist at Ruckus Composites, Laura Solis. Student artist and competitive free skier, Brooklyn Bell. SRAM product design engineer, David Reyes. SRAM ambassador and live racing athlete, bike mechanic and freelance designer, Sam Scipio. And giant factory mountain bike team racer, Elliot Jackson. The panel discussion was hosted by Brooke Hopper from Live Cycling and SRAM women's program manager, Sarah Durrell. First and foremost, on behalf of the SRAM Women's Program and Live Cycling, thank you for being here today. Um, sometimes it's, uh, it's important to have conversations uh, to create change that is important to you. And uh, this is what we're hoping uh, we, can, we can do today. We've got a panel full of uh, wonderful people and perspectives. And, uh, you know, hearing those perspectives and getting the opportunity to put ourselves in other people's shoes is a really important part of creating change. So thank you all for coming today. Thank you all for showing up and taking a seat at the table. And without further ado, I'm going to turn it over. Thank you guys so much for coming. Um, this panel was, I guess, the brainchild of both Liv and SRAM, and I'm very thankful that they asked us to do this, and I'm very thankful that you guys are all here to experience whatever this is. Um, so first, I'm going to let everyone introduce themselves because I believe that people should be allowed to speak for themselves whenever possible. Um, so I guess I'll go first since I'm already holding this microphone. My name is Aisha McGowan. I consider myself an advocate and an athlete, and my biggest mission is to create more positive representations for people of color. And I also race bicycles, and I want to be the first ever African-American female professional road cyclist. Okay, uh, Sam, take it away. Okay. There's a microphone right next to you. I'm Sam. Um, what's that? My bad. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. I'm Sam, uh, I race for Live Racing, and my specialty is really, really long mountain bike rides um, without help from people. And I'm here to talk to you all today about basically some of my experiences um, in cycling over the past like two or three years. Okay. David. David. <coughs> Hello. Uh, my name is David Reyes. I'm a design engineer at SRAM. I've been there for over eight years. Uh, primarily work on road rear derailleur, so I was a design engineer on uh, mechanical RDs, uh, the first iteration of ETAP and the new ETAP AXS Force and Red. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, uh, yeah, so I've been at SRAM. Um, I was born in Mexico. I speak Spanish. Uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> My name is Brooklyn Bell. Um, I am from the Pacific Northwest. Um, I am an athlete and an artist. Um, I do kind of like dual sport. I'm just finishing up with ski season and um, 
just get into like mountain biking and just like loving it so much for this season. I'm really pumped. Hello, I'm Elliot Jackson. I race for the Giant Factory Off-Road team. I've been coming here for like 10 years now. So it's, uh, it's amazing that, you know, the first time I came here, I would have never imagined doing something like this. So to be a part of this is really incredible and I'm glad that everyone could come out. Last, but certainly not least. <laughs> Hi, oh, my Haribos. Um, my name is Laura Solis, but you can call me Laura, and I'm a first-generation Latina from the South Bronx. I currently live in Portland, Oregon. I'm a bike mechanic. I fix things, and I also enjoy teaching others how to do that for themselves. Okay, um... So this is not so much a I'm going to ask them questions and they give me a stoic answer and response type of situation. It's more of a discussion and a roundtable where we will talk about the things that are important to us and our experiences and the things that matter to us as far as um, being a person of color in cycling in the industry or as an athlete or however we interact in this space and we will discuss it amongst ourselves for about an hour and then after that we will open up the floor for questions from y'all and i do hope and expect you guys to really be paying attention and listening and if you have a question this is the place to ask it don't yeah it's a safe space um disrespect will not be tolerated from anyone um, that is always a rule for me and should be, I think, across the board for everyone. Um, but open and honest conversations are very necessary to move things forward, and I think this is a great opportunity, and um, I would like to take it. Um, so for me, I guess I'll, I'll start with the things that I care about. The thing that's most important to me in cycling is representation. I think it's really hard to be something if you can't see it, and that does not apply to everyone. Some people are very just self-motivated from within and can just go move mountains without ever having any examples. But for a lot of folks, it's very helpful to see yourself in spaces and feel more comfortable. And as a person of color, um, even if you just look around this room beyond this table, um, if you look around, you will notice that it's pretty homogenous in here as well. Um, and that has been my experience here at Sea Otter and in a lot of other spaces that I move in in the cycling community and in industry. Oh, hey, Wind. We gonna give it a minute. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think representation is super important and I don't feel like the cycling industry does a very good job of showing the people, all of the people that are involved in the industry and as athletes and just in general. And I think everyone can do a lot better. Um, I think for me, it's changing just because I've, garnered quite a bit of attention in recent times. And so I think I have been individually represented more, um, but I am not the only black person that rides bikes. And I think it's a really a huge opportunity for me to be able to create spaces for other people of color to tell their stories and to share their experiences. Um, and just here alone, I would like you to raise your hand if you've been confused for me at this event. Um, I'd like you to raise your hand if you've been confused for another person of color. Today? Um, sure, let's start with today. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> Not today. Today? Okay, okay. Um, it happens a lot, and I think it's 
not okay. <laughs> um, and even on a more basic level, when people do decide to give us voices and, and give us platforms, very things, things that seem very minimal, like spelling my name correctly, go missed, or getting the information correct about whatever I've said, or representing me in the way that I would like to be represented. I can't, I can't speak for y'all, and I'll let you chime in in a second, but I personally get really, really frustrated when someone offers me this opportunity to be seen and then completely botch it, because um, that's not good representation. If you're gonna talk about Alicia, go ahead, but I'm not her and she's not me and you're not doing a very good job if you're just slapping a black face on a thing because it makes you feel better about diversity, but that's not, that's not it. Um, I don't know, does anyone else wanna chime in about that? Um, I guess I can segue into representation. Um, re representation's really important to me. Um, I am 22, I'm like almost about to graduate from college. Um, I feel like um, in like the last five or four years that I've kind of dove into skiing, dove into mountain biking, um, I've really come of age as um, a result. Um, and I think a lot of young women like my age um, really struggle with um, like self-worth, um, like self-beauty, um, and I think for me, when I was first getting into mountain biking and skiing, I wasn't seeing very many people who looked like me, not very many women. Um, and I would just scroll through my Instagram and be like, oh, there's like another blonde lady or another woman who looks like this and just be like, where do I fit into all of this? Um, and at that same time, I started getting into um, like art and illustration. And I realized that I, I needed a hero, like I needed somebody to look up to even though I didn't know who that person would be. Um, and so I created my own hero and her name is Ruby. <laughs> um, and I created her about uh, the time when I started getting into um, cycling and skiing and you know, like when I first created her, she was like this badass. She would like hook off of cliffs and she would do like all these crazy things and um, she was definitely like an athlete to me. Um, but I think as I get to know Ruby, I understand that she is really kind and she is really inclusive. Um, she speaks her mind and she tells me to, you know, talk in front of a bunch of people even though it's uncomfortable. She like pushes me to be a better person and um, make sure to like bring people with me. Um, and so I created Ruby for myself and then I created even more representation. Because I felt like, who's okay. that? Yeah, who's, oh yeah, who's this? <laughs> this is my, my climbing queen. And this is her friend, she's also a climbing queen. And I felt like I needed to, you know, fill this gap, fill this void. Because there are so many beautiful, amazing, talented people out here who are already out here, um, who just need to be represented, who need to be seen. Um, and I wanted to do that through art um, and like communicate and have a platform and a voice through that. I think that segues really good into David's um, topic. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, and kind of to keep the conversation on representation going a little bit, um, I work in a part of the bike industry that's really not visible very much. So I'm in product development. I'm behind a computer designing things uh, that many people like. Uh, and I have the privilege to interact with um, our, our facilities overseas. And 
what's one thing that's very important to me is that you know the bike industry has been uh, supported by, uh, lifted by, and 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 uh, developed by people in parts of the world that are missing in our cycling media. Um, I work with some really really great wonderful people in Taiwan and they're just as hardworking as anybody else and they're just as passionate about the bike industry as we are but they're missing in any of our media and uh, I think it's really important that those people get the credit that they deserve for making the bike industry that what it is um, yeah anybody um, and I think to like add to that I think um, as like a critique to a lot of these companies as I see a lot of companies boasting that they're global and you know like they're a global company and they reach all these fans <laughs> but like sorry the representation's just not there um, and there's mountain biking everywhere there's lots of buzzwords that happen yeah. <laughs> that are like completely global empty. diversity <laughs> yeah and we were talking before this at the table and David even mentioned that like in the factory there will be the same images that we see over here of like people that don't look like the people that are working there. So like changing that narrative is so important. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think like it, it also sends a very uh, specific type of message to the people that are making these products that they, they look up at these walls and these people don't look like them. So I think it's a very important thing to the bike industry to notice that like you're sending a message to certain people uh, that are making these things. I feel like, for me, I feel like there's kind of a, um, I'll call it a box that people get put in. So there is representation of people of color in cycling, but a lot of times it's like, look at these poor kids in this black downtrodden neighborhood, or look at these starving children in Africa that we're saving. And that gets so much play and so much attention. And it's not to say that those initiatives aren't super important and super necessary, but if that's the only thing you ever see, that's how you will always relate to that image. That's how you'll see us. Yeah, you'll think we're victims who are, like we're victims in this industry, and that's not the case. We're, no one is a victim here. Um, actually, that speaks to what I wanted to talk about, which is, so I think it's awesome. Actually, I think it's amazing that some of my friends here are on some of the marketing materials that you get to see for like the 12 speed awesomeness that's come out and things of that sort. Or, you know, Aisha was just on a Nike thing that just happened, which is fucking badass. I bleeped myself, so I did that. Thanks, mom. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and I, I love it so much. But the fact of the matter is, as a gal that grew up in the South Bronx in a single parent household, I was never going to see that because I wasn't going into a bike shop. The bike that I, and I actually didn't learn to ride a bike till I was 17 and that was primarily due to the fact that me owning a bike would have been a very, very much a luxury. So I think there is an opportunity here because as we want to diversify the cycling community, we have to start with kids because they're the next generation, if you will, not Star Trek, but anyway, um, <laughs> the next generation that's gonna do it, and that's great, but how do we get those bikes in their hands so that they become adults that also like bikes in this community? And for me, prior to getting into cycling, I was in nonprofit work, and I oversaw youth and family communities, and there was a whole lot to do with grants as a nonprofit, which some of you probably are very familiar with. And so I think about the fact that, and also, as a person that lived in the Bronx, which is the least healthy county in New York, 
obesity in children is a big deal. There are a lot of initiatives that we're all very passionate about. And I think there's an opportunity for the cycling industry to come in in a small way to start. You know, pilot programs are all fun. I'm here to, you know, if someone wants to pay me to do this. Um, but to say, you know, get in those after school programs, have those cycling programs so that, you, you know, slap a SRAM sticker on a helmet so that kids can be in these cycling programs so they get familiar with cycling at a younger age because it's not accessible to them right now. And so I, again, I'm all happy for us helping folks in other countries. I do some of that donation myself, but let's help the people on my block, on your block, on some of y'all's blocks or in the, the inner cities that you might drive by on your way to work and what have you, because that's where, that's the start, it's as a child. So I think we have an opportunity to do that. Maybe that looks like a grant program that you know the after school programs have to dig into and you have however many kids. Like I said, I have a background in doing that so I could talk more at length about that if someone was actually interested in doing that because marketing budgets are exponential. Mm -hmm. So it's really something as basic as $5,000 that would get so many butts on bikes and you know, it's just that champion you need at that after school program that's going to be like, okay, we can get 20 kids on bikes, you know, a couple days a week. And then that also turns into civic engagement because in these same neighborhoods, you then have to think about where is it safe for me to ride my bike? And that was a large part of how I got into riding and got into being more in the face of cycling was because I would take my bike on a train in New York down to the ends of Manhattan to ride my bike because I felt safer riding my bike in Manhattan than I did riding in the Bronx. And then I was like, wait a minute, why am I doing this? This doesn't make sense. How do I make a change? And that's when I learned about being a part of my community board and so forth and so on. So again, civic engagement. And I bring that up to say, when parents realize that it's not safe for their kids to ride their bikes, parents talk up, they speak up about making streets safer. So you know it just comes all full circle and i think it has to be a matter of taking a comprehensive approach to things but it starts with something as small as a grant in a school in a low-income neighborhood where kids will then be positively affected to do more physical exercise be civically engaged with their families have safer streets for folks to ride in and those safer streets are not just in the neighborhoods they don't live in that is that are not accessible to them Why, okay. thank you, thank you very much. Um, oh, go for it. I think one of the things uh, about what Laura was saying was speaking to the accessibility part of it, because I've been really fortunate to be, you know, like she was saying, being on some of the marketing material and um, be in all these places, getting to travel, but as a professional athlete, I'm not really accessible to anyone. Like I don't, I'm, I'm, and it's impossible for me to be that way. You know what I mean? Like when you, it's great that you see Michael Jordan, but when you go out and play basketball or whatever, you're not seeing Michael Jordan. Um, and I'm not Michael Jordan, but <laughs> keep that. <laughs> no, but I, I think, um, and so I think we sometimes get confused by just because there's somebody like me racing downhill, um, when a person of color or something like that goes and races downhill, he never gets to experience that or she never gets to see um, another person that has gone through some of the things that they've gone through or um, face the challenges that they've you know had to face. And so I think it's um, important to keep that in mind where 
it's not so much about putting these people in these huge, big, you know, places and putting a, a face on a banner. It's about kind of giving a community um, someone to champion them. So I can go and go to my local mountain biking, you know, community center or whatever, and like that's who I look up to, and that makes a bigger impact than you know me out there. You know, because it's it's like that's I can't get there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how do I get from where I'm at to like where they're at? And so um, I think that's really important. Something that's really important. I think um, that just reminds me of like the idea of when people will try and start these huge initiatives, whatever they may be. It feels like a lot of time that that people in the industry will try and like come together and think of something new and big and exciting that's gonna change everything and they don't look in the communities that are already doing that work and try and find the communities that are already doing that work and the people that are already being champions because they're there, they exist and they're super passionate and usually very much underpaid and working on like heart. <laughs> and again, you these companies have these massive budgets that they throw at certain things but if they would consider using them differently, I think it could make a much larger impact for the company and for the people. And I think everyone would win in that way. And I mean, it's really, really frustrating when you see sometimes that um, people's ideas and people's work get co-opted and branded as new things. And that's something that happens within the people of color community a lot where we'll have been doing something for years and years and years and then someone comes along and it's now a new craze and that's super, super frustrating. I don't know if you guys have had that experience but it's something that I see often. Oh, I had a, like, kind of a dumb question. <laughs> a really silly this one. There are no dumb questions. <laughs> this one's for you, Laura. Do you think cycling is cool? Or this is for everyone. Like, do, you, do, do we genuinely think that, like, cycling is cool? Like to the outside population. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> so, I'm gonna say thank you. And okay, so from where I grew up, yeah. cycling was seen as a form of transportation, primarily for poor people, as in you can't afford a car and or you can't afford the rising prices of the MTA and public transportation. So does, was or you were a delivery person on a Huffy from 1985. So nah, that's not cool. No. <laughs> and I feel like in my community, like in Bellingham, where like mountain biking is kind of like a way of life, the only reason why it's cool is because it's, you know, super elite, it's a club. Um, and it's a cool kids club, but it's not really that cool to like anybody who's like outside of that club, you know, like Yeah, I think for me, like just as I started riding as an adult as a commuter as a commuter, and a lot of people looked at it as not a choice. <laughs> like why are you why did you ride here? Like <laughs> you could have done something different. And I did it because I enjoyed it, but I didn't know I enjoyed it until I saw someone else doing it, and then I tried, and I was like, man, this is super fun. Like, why doesn't everyone do this? So, yeah, I see that. I've had conversations with my friends about this where, particularly if you do live in a community of color 
where you don't see many other people riding bikes, there are those days where you don't want to ride a bike. And I feel like we've all had that instance where if you do commute, you're like, nah, not today, it's raining. I live in Portland now, so that's not an excuse. But like, uh, I feel tired. And then sometimes it's shit. If I, damn, I didn't beat myself. I'm sorry, guys. Um, mama. But today I'm going to ride a bike because I want all those people at the bus stop that look like me to be able to see a gal that looks like me riding a bike and therefore giving them a look at a brown woman, a black woman on a bike. It's like, oh, dick. She could do that? Then I could do that too. And sometimes you're just doing it for the people. Like that's that's really what it comes. Like I'm getting up for the people. Um, I think one of the things too about uh, inclusion and diversity is as if you're not in those type of environments, you don't see the headwinds that you face. So like for someone who's, you know, in an affluent area, like a like a white person or whatever, like when you go to ride a bike, you don't get flack. You don't get like you're not like. Everyone's doing it. But like if I come from like if I come from like you know Chicago or something like that, and I'm like I'm talk to my friends and I'm like, yo, dude, I'm I'm gonna go and like ride some downhill. They're like, you gonna do what? Like you're going and. And, it's, and so, like, not only do you have to face the challenges of, of performing or getting into whatever you're getting into, but you have to face this challenge of really kind of alienating yourself from your friends and things like that. And you have to overcome a lot of things that you wouldn't really see if you haven't been in those environments. So I think it's important to remember that before, um, before you say, like, oh, why don't they just do that? Like, why don't they just... Um, go and ride and like and go do these things because it's um there's there's other forces at work sometimes um so one of the reasons why i was really excited to be on this panel was because there was such an amazing like incredible like lineup of people um and i think well, everybody like, like, was crazy. They're like, "Oh my gosh, I get you get to be on a panel with Elliot Jackson." <laughs> um, but I think, um, I think one of the like powers of representation, at least seeing Elliot um, kind of be in the spotlight, um, has definitely like, I've definitely gone to see him um, succeed, and that's been amazing. Um, but I remember there was like a moment when I was first getting into mountain biking, and I was like secretly just like so passionate about it i was living with my parents and i made my sister watch red bull rampage with me <laughs> like i sat her down and i was like you have to watch this like we need to watch this together and she was like this is the craziest thing ever <laughs> like why would anybody do this and um there was like commercial break and then elliot i think you were announcing that year maybe or you were i th I think you, I think you were like announcing that year, or you were doing some kind of like interview, and my little sister was like, "Oh my gosh, there's somebody out here who looks like us doing this. This must be legitimate." Um, and so, like, I think that was like a really special moment that I got to have with my sister, where she was like, "Oh yeah," like she thought about it, even though Red Bull Rampage is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, Let's give 
Elliot the mic, and you had a topic that you wanted to discuss. Do you want to dive on in there? Yeah. Okay. I um, I, I think we kind of touched on some of the... I've come <coughs> kind of from a, like a performance background all through my life. And, um, you know, my parents, like, we came from pretty much nothing, and they both started these really successful businesses. And so getting to grow up with them seeing them achieve these things that shouldn't be possible. <laughs> um, and their North Star was always, you know, I want to be the best and I want to, <clears throat> whatever that means. And um, my brother and I rode motocross and we, we kind of took that same mentality. And I think as an athlete, you're always kind of, you're in a game of, it's a game of like uniqueness. And so like, thinking about how you could be unique. And one of the things that I always say about sports is that it's kind of, it's a safe place because you can't say that if I win the race, I won the race. Um, and I think it's it's been interesting for me, like growing up with that sort of mentality. I remember like one of the, one of the uh, things in motocross, like I, I was at the, the starting gate and uh, I was in somewhere, I was probably in like middle of nowhere, but, uh, I remember hearing this dad say, uh, like, oh, you better beat that black kid. And I was like, like at the time, I didn't really think about it. Like, but now it's it's interesting because it's. <laughs> 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 Well, it's. Well, I think. Well, I think what what you kind of like. It's it's kind of like it's kind of sad at the time because like you kind of get desensitized to it, and so you don't really think about it like in that way, and and so it can really like switch. Like you can you could take that as in like, I'm you know I'm we're the only black family out here, you know, and like it's hard enough as it is to win a race for everyone else, and like now I have to deal with this too, which nobody else has to deal with. But like now for me, I kind of look at it as like they're not talking about the other dude who's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, if they're talking about me, like that's all good. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, I, I mean, like if we're talking about, that is like, a coping mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Like it's about me. like, no, but I, I think it's, I think it's like an interesting, like, I think it's really interesting because we get, you know, we talked about like, Aisha talked about um, us getting, mistaken for other people Girl. like <laughs> and, and you do like all day all the time and um and so i think you get put in the spotlight uh as a person of color whether you are achieving things or not achieving things or just out there doing whatever um there's a lot of pressure put on you um and so i think it's just really like important to um I don't know to <clears throat> to kind of understand that as an athlete and and think about like what it means to be a black person and and a person of color <clears throat> and to um and to kind of let yourself be that person. I think like one of the things that I've always thought is like even though I don't see anyone in mountain biking and in downhill that's <clears throat> going to win the races, like I can be that person and that's always been kind of the North Star for me, like I think kind of maybe similar for you in that like I want to be the best, you know, and like the person at the top it doesn't necessarily um, 
have to look like me, but I do have to have like a safe space to do that. Like I don't need more kind of headwinds in addition to being the best in the world. Um, and I think that's important, you know, with people like making comments or jokes or like whatever it is. Like I think it's important to kind of be inclusive as someone is taking that journey um, because they are doing it on their own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that guy, not okay. Um, I think that's a great opportunity to bring up the very, the whole idea of I don't see color and how not helpful that is. <laughs> I think there's this misconception. It's like, oh, well, everyone's the same. And if I don't see color, then that makes me not racist and whatever. Um, it's not true. Everyone see, if you can see, you can see that I am a black person. You can see that I am not a white person at minimum. And to try and ignore that is not helpful in any way. Um, and like, I don't know, you, you telling your story, I, I just did Joe Martin last week. And whenever I told someone where I was going, they're like, oh my God, you're going to Arkansas? <laughs> I don't know nothing about Arkansas. Most of my folks don't know a whole lot about Arkansas. My grandma thought, where did I go? I went to like Portland, I think. And she's like, oh, where is that? She was in another country. Like, These things don't matter to a lot of folks. But what we do know is the South does not have a great history of things when it comes to folks that look like me. And so there were a lot of people that were actually concerned for my safety. Fortunately, everyone I encountered was great, but going into that experience, I had no idea what to expect. And I brought my husband and my dog <laughs> because secretly I was a little nervous. Um, but I think it's important to realize that um, everyone on this panel, like this, this is just like a dream come true for me, to be honest. Um, to see something like this, a diverse group of people of color, not just like the diversity person, but like, there's there's varying varying forms of what diversity can look like. There can be a diversity in gender, diversity in race, diversity in culture, diversity in experiences, diversity in career, and we have a lot of that right here at this table, which is super super rare in this industry. You do not get to see that. I don't think I've ever seen yeah, that. I, I think <laughs> that's like a really 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 good point in that. Um, <laughs> just by the way that somebody looks doesn't mean they're all the same. You know what I mean? Like all of us have had completely different backgrounds and experiences and life experiences. And I think to kind of lump somebody into something and say like, you know, I think one of the things that um, I always say is it's not trying to um, say like, oh, you know, Elliot would like this because, you know, Aisha likes it or whatever is like, that's, you're kind of making the same mistake as <laughs> like yeah, totally no. missing the point. So that, leads to another point of you can't just like hire one person of color and feel like you've you've done it like it's over i have actually a question for y'all um so how many of you guys whatever company you work for have a person of color in your office not everyone is raising their hand how many of you have a black person in your office how many of them work together <laughs> <laughs> Well, how many of y'all actually work together and are talking about the same person? <laughs> That's a fair point. <laughs> how many of you guys have a black woman in your place of work? How many of you have a trans person of color in your place of work? How many of you have a trans person in your place of work? Okay, we got some numbers there. More than I expected, to be honest. Coworkers. <laughs> 
coworkers, right? Y'all worked at the same place, but just there's so many opportunities to um, have these conversations where you are. You don't have to come all the way to Seattle to create this. You can create this in your own workplace. And if you have a black person or a person of color or a woman of color or a trans person or a trans person of color that works in your office and they are alone, they're not going to be nearly as effective because they are protecting their own safe space. That might be their Arkansas. They might not know what they are working with. And you don't rock the boat too much if if you feel like there are things at stake. And I'm speaking personally, I can't speak for anyone else. Speaking of which, like Elliot said, just because Elliot likes something doesn't mean Aisha likes something, doesn't mean Laura likes something. So I can't speak for all black people, I can't speak for all black women, I can't speak for all people of color, and that is why you need to have more than one person or two people um, who work in your organization that can be that voice, and also, these people should be qualified, and also these people should be in positions of power, not just in the space as a diversity hire, because that is, that's not it. And I, actually I left California, I left North California because I was really sick and tired, a part of it was the traffic, but a part of it was that I was really sick and tired of seeing people that look like me only in positions of service. Like, I could go days without seeing another person of color or another black person. And when I did, it's because they were in a service job. And what that means is they were a janitor or they were serving food or they were doing something like that. A bus driver, something like that. And again, like the images of the starving children in Africa, if that's all you see, when you see me, that's what you see as well. And that affects how you do things and how you move through life and include people. And how you, and it affect it, it was affecting me, yeah. And how it affects how you view yourself. So if I get on the train and every time I see a black person on a bike, it's because somebody is donating and it's to some children in Africa. Like that's what I'm gonna think of bikes. And then why would I ride a bike? Because I don't want to be associated with that, right? So it's it's like you you start to warp your 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 vision of yourself in your mind to the point where something just becomes like not even interesting or attainable to you. Like there's. I'll be, I'll go out on a limb, be a little vulnerable here, but there's like points at, as a person of color and let me know if anyone else has felt this where you're like, am I here because I'm good or am I here because I'm black? <laughs> and sometimes you can't pull the two apart because there are, there are businesses and companies that have these initiatives to bring in diversity and I've had somebody say to my face like, great, Liv is interested in diversity now. And it's like that kind of, that like, Stabs, that stabs you. That is such an important thing because I think some people like wouldn't think of that being an insult, but like that is terrible. <laughs> like it's like you're not good enough to get on here like because you're amazing. You're like you're on here because you're a person of color. Right. And Right. And so I think part of that is because just where we are in terms of this conversation, like it shouldn't be just getting started, but I feel like it's it's ramping up, so there still needs to be time for you all to catch up and for companies to catch up, but like that's a real part of it, to, to feel kind of like that isolation or that, that doubt inside because you're not quite sure why, you, why, why you're here. Um, I think kind of talking about representation and um, marketing and you know, bringing new people on, I think 
when we're having these conversations about diversity, inclusion, equity, I think uh, another thing that we have to remember is like, we're so allowed to make mistakes. Like we're super allowed to make mistakes. There are gonna be times when just like things feel awkward and weird or like, you know, like relationships don't line up. Um, and we just need to give ourselves the space to make those mistakes, but we need to try. That's a, that's a great point, and I think we're sitting up here with still a lot of questions. Like, we don't really have any answers for you all, yeah. and we know that, like, not everybody out here has answers either, but, like, keep talking about it and trying things and asking. That's, that's the, the biggest thing you can do. Yeah, so there's, like, that fear of, like, hey, are you just hiring people because they're people of color? And then it turns into like, oh, well, I'm not going to hire that person because I don't want to hire them just because they're a person of color. And then it's just this ridiculous cycle of a lot. It's a lot. Um, but I think, like she said, like things get really awkward and they get really uncomfortable. But it's important that we push through that stuff and not, not look at diversity <laughs> as an option or as a thing we'll get to eventually or as this like side project or even like a mission like it's a priority it has to be a priority and i mean I, we're constantly hearing about how you know the face of the industry is changing and the way retail works is changing and things are always changing and that's fine but there's a whole demographic of people that are being left out and i feel like the the industry is just recycling the same stuff over and over again and expecting a different result which is the definition of insanity um so i think i don't know there's just huge opportunities here to to, to do something different and like to to really take a look at what you're doing and make sure that you're you're trying and not just like oh well i thought about it <laughs> that's enough I think it's similar to how we all know about the pink it and shrink it. Don't just like put a black person in and be like, did it. We didn't, we didn't like the pink it and shrink it. We're not gonna like the drop the black person thing either. It's like, just liking it. To, I'm trying to find things we can relate to, right? I'm trying to find other things that we've done before and how we didn't like that. We did, we know we didn't like that. We see through it. We see through it, exactly, right? We see right through so, it. So like we can do different, we can do better. We can take past experiences and be like oh remember when we try that don't do that but also remember we are going to make mistakes and by we i don't just mean these people at the table i mean like all of us in the industry as we're trying to be innovative and change things and so forth and if you do make a mistake own it my god sincerely apologize and take action to do better because we're going to make mistakes the industry has already done that before and not just our you know our own cycling industry but other outdoor industries we've seen that where people are taking credit for other people's stuff blah 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 and so it's but own it and move forward like I know where there's like this cancel culture that exists and so people are so fearful of making mistakes but then we don't do anything what's a cancel culture oh she be in the mountains <laughs> <laughs> essentially cancel culture makes it so that you're expected to be perfect and so in this day and age where you know lots of people prioritize being PC because they don't want to rock the boat because we the Millennials are so emotional and sensitive they don't do anything or they don't say anything and because we the millennials are going to 
cancel you as in if I said something racist, which I can't because I'm black, so I can't be racist, but if I said something racist, then you're gonna cancel me as in we don't talk to Laura, we're never gonna hire her for anything. She, we, we have erased her, we have, we have eradicated Laura from the internet. Um, but then there's no like restorative justice or like an opportunity for me to reconcile with what I've done wrong. So I say that as, okay, like pretend I was a white person and I did something bad in a pursuit to do something good for other people, I make a mistake, I apologize, and I take action to rectify that, take and action. we move forward. But it's the taking of the action. I like that. It's like you're take my backup singer. I like, I like this. If I just say it, it's take action. But we. But the apologize sincerely, like you mean it. You say it with your chest. Like I'm sorry for blank. And this is what I did wrong, and this is what we're doing to move forward. So the moral of the story is let's take action so that we're not the only black people you know in the cycling industry. Oh, y'all are so nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Y'all are great for my self-esteem. I, <laughs> I just wanted to add to that that uh, I think it's really important that everyone embrace that uncomfortable feeling that you might be having. Like, it is okay to have these conversations. And it is important that you acknowledge that it is a thing. It, because if you don't acknowledge it, you can't approach it and you can't solve it. You can't think about it. So I think it's really important that we all feel uncomfortable together and we get through it. And do uncomfortable things like, JP, I'm sorry, these women are, are not all Aisha. <laughs> You're a not. teachable <laughs> moment here. I can do that to JP <laughs> because <laughs> partly because I mean, I'm a man in the bike industry that. and and I can I can talk to JP. We're we're coworkers, um, and as a man in the bike industry, as and part of a you know a diverse group, like I can support other women in the bike industry. Like when you when you broaden that conversation a little bit women gain men as advocates and allies in the same conversation. So I think it's important um, that we all work together to, to solve, or not solve the problem, but you know, approach it, have the conversations. And take action. Yeah. And take action, most importantly, take action. Um, I wanted to um, bring up why I think inclusion and diversity and equity is really important. Um, <laughs> for me it's really important because you know like it gives me self-worth it gives me like self-love like being able to see other people who look like me like just crushing it just like gives me so much self-love and um but i think beyond that like the big picture i was listening to a podcast with Teresa baker who's amazing you guys should um, get to know her story she's awesome but she mentioned in the podcast, she said that by 2045, um, America will become, um, white will not be the majority majority anymore. It, um, the minority will be the majority. Um, and that's huge. That's huge for cycling industry. That's huge for outdoor industry. Um, I think if we want to like save outdoor industry um, and like have future stewards of our planet, we need to include the people who are gonna be part of, um, have the most voting power in the future. From a logistical standpoint, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had a, a point too about just the, um, 
<laughs> like what David said about being uncomfortable. Um, and I think if you relate, you, there's like always a point in everyone's life, like everyone here where you've been somewhere uh, and you've been uncomfortable because you are the only one, whether it's like you go somewhere and no one else speaks the language. And so you like, um, if you imagine that and just relating that to everyone, whether that's like a person of color or a, like a new person, if you, if we can include everyone, um, because I think a lot of people like in the cycling industry and in industries, like you don't feel that a lot, you don't feel, um, disconnected. And so if you can think back to those feelings and think like, okay, well, what does it look like if I were to try to include people here? And like, especially from a business context, like that's a really terrible <laughs> kind of structure to have where everyone has the same opinion and, and like the same viewpoint. And, um, and so like just getting, you know, people of color, women, like everyone in the, in the room and in the conversation is important. I also want to speak for those people of color or maybe that one person of color that everyone's talking about that you all work with. Um, <laughs> just keep in mind, let's say you do have that person of color in your workplace and you're like, hey, we want to do a diversity thing. They might say no and that's okay. Like they might not want to be in the forefront of whatever it is. So don't just make that assumption or put that huge responsibility on someone, especially if they are in fact the only black person. Again, I said I live in Portland. I know all about being the only black person. And so it is very uncomfortable. <laughs> Similar to what Elliot is saying. It, you know, whether you're the only woman in the room, you're the only redhead in the room, you're the only left-handed person in the room, you know what it's like to be singled out at one point in your life. Maybe you were the slowest kid in dodgeball. You know, like whatever that is, that moment in your life where you felt alone, it can feel like that every day for some people. And it can be very lonely. And if you have the opportunity to bring multiple people of a different background into your company, of course, qualified, we out there. You gotta keep looking. Maybe you can ask us. We gotta. We have a Rolodex. Um, then do that because it really does make a difference. Like if you and I'm speaking to the female identifying people in the room. If you've ever been the only woman in the office, and then you finally got that second woman in the office, it was like yes. Like you know, like now I have someone else who I can like at least like give the side eye to when that person says that ridiculous thing. So just think about the fact that. We want to increase the community, and, but within our communities, we have communities and we want to be supported by people that can relate to one another. And so I just, but if that person doesn't want to be in the diversity club, it's okay. <laughs> You're a mess. Okay, um, so Sam, I think now would be a good time to yeah, this, this kind of builds on Laura's point, but um, there's the, uh, I mentioned earlier that a lot of companies have diversity initiatives to either bring more people on board internally or to show more representation in their marketing. And I would like to urge you all to do that in an authentic way because I have seen my face all over some things that I have not even approved, right? So there's a lot of frankly sketchy things going on with the taking of images of people and using those images and then being like, but I didn't know who you were. And it's like, then how did you know you could use my image? And it's like, if you want to use, there's a company in particular that I'm thinking of, they have a team full of white people, specifically white males, and 
they used an image of me in some of their marketing materials without my permission. One, if you want to use an image of someone, use your racers, right? If you would like to appear to be more diverse or take a step towards being more diverse, bring on new racers, bring on new riders, like change what your team looks like. And I understand if our team has been loyal and they've raced for us for so long and like that's fantastic. Bring on more people. I know you can do it. Change the structure, change how it works. Some people might be upset or a little salty about it, but we need to change the dynamic within the industry. Like, like I can't represent everyone. Aisha can't represent everyone. Elliot can't. So bring on more people. Um, and I think that also gets a little bit into the con a conversation about specifically equity. So like equality versus equity. Um, so you give me a bike, you give Elliot a bike, and you say go downhill. Elliot's gonna go downhill way faster than me because I've never ridden a downhill bike and I don't have the skills nor the terrain in Chicago to ride a downhill bike, <laughs> right? So, so you give me a downhill bike, you also have to give me a ticket to California so I can ride downhill and be successful. So it's, th that's an extreme example, but like how do we start one. to, to, to level like that playing field so that people have an actual chance at being successful? Because giving a bike or taking a photo or sending a kit is not quite enough. You, you, what you mentioned at the table when we were talking is like, yeah, it's all good to use the image, but just pay you. Like, yeah. I'm cool. <laughs> yeah, like, that's fine, too. Like, you can use the image or whatever, but like... But I like, ask first, though. Yeah, like, totally. Don't just like... Well, I mean, like... Like, slap my face up. Okay, can I, can com can I compensate you after the fact? Like, no, ask for yeah, permission. We're all so totally. accessible in this day and age. There's so many ways to contact people. Trust me. <laughs> There's so many ways to contact people, and if you really wanted to find someone, you could. And if you can't find that person don't use their image find somebody else's image to use and ask them and get permission first but don't just this idea that there's not enough people of color or black people or black women that you have to use the same ones over and over and over again and put or and if there truly isn't enough don't fake it and make it look like there is just don't fake it like we, we, I know, I, I'm, I was at the event. I know I was the only one there. Like, because you show me from three different angles, like, space two weeks apart, doesn't make it look like there was a bunch of people there that, like, that are of it. color. That's not, it doesn't work. And to bring it back to something we're already familiar with, because, you know, I'm bringing it back to my youth and family days. I want people to relate. Consent culture, we're familiar with this now. We've spoken about it, like, around rape culture and things of that sort. Get consent. Because if I didn't say it was okay, it don't assume that it's okay. Because we all know how you break down assume. I'm not gonna do it because I don't curse, but you know, <laughs> you know. I was gonna say it this way. You were gonna say assume too? No, I was gonna say an ass out of you and me. Oh, you said yeah. she said it. I did it. All right. <laughs> wow. Um, so when we announced this panel, someone had the question of if we would have a, trans a transgender person of color on the panel. And I'm ashamed to say that that wasn't a part of the initial planning. And I'm also ashamed to say that between all of us, we didn't know anybody who would be available to do this in the short amount of time that we had left to get them here and have them prepared and be qualified and all. It's not okay. And the fact that when I asked how many of you worked with a trans person of color, raise your hands again, please. A trans person of color, 
please, no. please raise your hands. Here. Look around. <laughs> Look around. No, raise your hands, please. <laughs> that's a problem. That is a problem. And that's a problem that needs to be fixed because that's a voice that we don't get to hear and that we really need to hear. And yes, I champion for representation of people of color, but representation comes in all forms. There are so many people in cycling that are underrepresented. So basically, if you're not a cisgender white man, you're pretty much underrepresented in cycling. And there's just so much opportunity. In the world. In the world. You're right. You're right. Um, but. But we're, we're in a cycling thing right now, so I get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are creeping in on the question and answer time. But before we scooch it along, is there anything on our minds that we just really wanted to bring to the surface while well, we have a seat at this table? This is a nice <laughs> table, ain't it? <laughs> Anybody? No. We're feeling good? Yeah. Okay. Oh, it is cold. <laughs> Speaking of which, I don't know if any of you guys saw those, the, the ladies in the bikinis. I don't know who's responsible for that. Yeah, somebody needs to talk to them. But can somebody address that? I don't know who oh, we need to speak to. I have to. one more point. <laughs> Speaking of that, you... you People here that work for big companies, you all have power to change things. Like, you can go and address this company and be like, why is this woman in a bikini? There was it's not okay. There was more than one. Like, unless he wanted to be in the bikini. Which he didn't look by the goose. By, <laughs> by all of the goose pimples on her, I'm going to say she wasn't. I'm not into it. Somebody needs to address that. Yeah, you you all can talk to each other and hold each other accountable. Like Speaking of which, the talk to each other thing? Yeah. Yes. So maybe one person, one little voice can't do a whole lot, but it can start something. But if you guys as an industry decided something wasn't okay or that something needed to happen, then it would happen. And that is something that I feel like people don't pay attention to where they feel like oh i'm just yelling into a void or i'm speaking to a void as a unit if you guys worked together like like we trying to work together but we are in we're not really in positions of power to be honest we got we got a little influence but we don't really have a lot of power y'all got power so if you work together as an industry and came together as an industry and decided what needed to happen that's what would happen I also have a background as a community organizer, so if anybody wants to hook me up by flying me to your company to do a community organizing workshop, call me, pay me, but call me. <laughs> yes. Um, compensate people for their time, their presence, and their expertise. I think the fact that we're here is because we have proven ourselves worthy to be here, and I feel like a lot of times people expect us, because we're passionate about the things that we talk about and about the things that we do, expect us to volunteer to do things. And I don't think that is okay. Um, it is work. Every time I personally have to go in front of a room of white folks and tell them why things are not okay, that is work. That is emotionally exhausting. And if I'm gonna do it, I wanna be paid for my time. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Cause I don't think any of y'all would show up to work if nobody was paying you. That's, that's volunteering. That is volunteering. Which I only do on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, if no one else has anything else to add. 
I would like to open the floor for questions. Hooray. Who's got a question? So I think that I have a unique position and I am part of the most representative part of the industry. Introduce yourself. Oh, sure. So my name is Tyler Fela. I'm from SRAM. I work in the finance team and do some community work within the company, community initiatives, and also very active in the gravel space. And so I guess like a, a question for me, and I think a good point that you brought up is that like there is a lot of underrepresented groups. and. You know, I think that there's a lot of wrong ways to try and create that outreach that have flopped in the past. So would you mind sharing some ways that you've found have been successful methods of outreach and connection that don't either marginalize or isolate someone and the attempt actually flops? Yeah, I can. Um, so there's a youth cycling program in Chicago that already exists and has existed for years called Blackstone Bicycle Works, which I'm sure you know about. and SRAM, um, a few other bike shops in the, in, the, in the city, they support this team and bring them to the exact same races and support them at the exact same races as all the local pros and Cats 4 and Cat 5 as everybody else is doing. So it's not taking them and creating this, this system or this project that's separate from what's happening in the cycling world. It's giving them the skills, tools, money, whatever they need to bring them into what's already happening and make sure they're a part of it. So like, yeah. <laughs> um, I think one of the reasons it's flops is also because um, people think that they have to do something different. Like when you go and hire someone to a company, you train them and you teach them about the job. Um, and one of the reasons it flops is because when you hire a person of color or someone from a marginalized group, you're like, you're like, I have to do something crazy. Like, oh, they only respond to this. Like. I don't know what to do, so just kind of put them there, and I don't know. You know what I mean? So I think it's uh, it's important to keep in mind that to give uh, people the best chance of success, you kind of just treat them as you would anyone else, and just be sensitive to the fact that we're different, just like you're different from your coworkers. Um, and to add to that, and I think Elliot sort of brought it up as being the Michael Jordan of downhill, of course. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> direct that quote. That was a direct quote. Y'all all heard it, right? Michael Jordan at the end of this table, ladies and gentlemen. But, um, but I will say, I think it also helps when you, and it's certainly not going to be easy, but when you find someone that is represented by the community that you're trying to get into, when you have them be a large part of it, so not just on the posters, you know, but like they show up, um, it helps because then the community is not gonna give you the immediate side eye, like who that and why is he here with bicycles? If it's, oh, okay, I got Sam to come to that Chicago thing in the school, in the neighborhood she grew up in. I don't know if you grew up in Chicago. I'm, I'm making assumptions, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but to say, it certainly helps when it's someone that's in that community, and maybe they're not a—they're um, not necessarily in a leadership position to coordinate the event, but maybe they're just a matter of doing like the community outreach, and that's what they're really passionate about. It certainly goes a long way, and I say this as a person who was paid well to tell people about free bike programming in New York City. I was paid well to tell people about free 
bike programming. <laughs> Dream job? Like, seriously. But to say... She was very good at it. And folks didn't know that they could do this, that they had access to learning how to ride bikes for free with this organization and so forth and so on. And sometimes it's just a matter of people just not knowing that these things exist. Because I know I mentioned like creating grants and so forth. Y'all might be doing that already, and I just don't know about it, but you could hire me to make sure that I go tell people. I, you know, <laughs> Laura's looking for a job. Um, so... <laughs> oh, gosh of my own house maybe i don't know about any other kind of presidency i would do but the point is have that uh population be represented in not just the marketing material but also being an active role in the outreach initiative you're hosting <laughs> to add to that do not speak for populations you are not a part of preach so don't like make assumptions that a group of youth would want a certain thing like ask them or ask their organizer to ask them like don't 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 create something that you want for people like create what they want or what they need next question <laughs> question come on folks we've been talking for an hour i'm gonna go there and then i'm gonna come here we talked about representation at the beginning again just now but um I'm, uh, my name's Jimmy. I, I'm the lesser half of this person here. Um, I work for Patagonia. Uh, we're not in the bike industry in the way you guys are, uh, but we're starting to scratch it. Um, but uh, back to representation. I'm curious, what brands outside of the cycling world do you feel like is doing it well and, and why? Oh, that's a good question. And the why is the most important part of that. So to echo that fine human over there, I'm going to say nobody um, because right now I feel like personally I'm in a place where I am supporting more black-owned businesses. And so those black-owned businesses primarily are catering to black people. So there, there's diversity as in like there's people from different blocks, but they all look the same, right? Um, as but the, like they're mostly black people. In case that went over anybody's head. Um, but I, as far as organizations that are being diverse and doing it well, I don't think that exists. I know that I'll go to other companies like Patagonia that you know fall in line with other things or other yeah things is gonna be the word that I'm using right now that are important in my life but as far as diversity i don't think that's really happening because i i'll say that i'll see a sam in a photo that's black and white with a great scenic background but like then i'm gonna see that same person is gonna be sam again in their like next catalog i'm, sorry. I'm sam is just always in the catalog and they just hire the same person over and over again in that mm -mm, mm -mm. um i think like brands that are outside of outdoor industry like nike adidas there are a lot of other brands do you think so i guess that's true oh damn we're thinking the same thing what you think what are you thinking so historically right black people play sports and so, like, Nike, sports, black people on the website. Damn, I just had that realization. 
So see the word that that really <laughs> nails it for me is historically, and I feel like yeah, there are companies that are trying, and there are companies that have historically just not done very well and are now trying. But no, I don't think anybody's doing it well yet. I think we have a long way to go before we can give that kind of credit, honestly. I know a brand that has absolutely nothing to do with what we're doing right now, Lane Bryant. They do a pretty good job of making sure all colors of the thick gal is in their (laughs) marketing material. And so, and why do I know this? I don't know, I I don't currently shop at Lane Bryant, but I do, admire the fact that I think they do a pretty good job of representing all all shades of the rainbow. Like if those brands that you see, like and I think all of us see, and it's like, oh, there's people of color, there's diversity, like what would that look like? Because it's more than just um, showing people of color. So yeah, like what yeah. does that mean to you to have good representation? To to me or that's No, what does it mean to you guys? To me, a few months ago, I went and saw a uh, a woman named Nell Scovell uh, give a talk about her book, about her experience in the entertainment industry as like the first female, you know, many, many things. And she said that the writer's rooms should look like the audience you're trying to reach. So a company that is doing it right will have this, you know, writer's room that looks like the people they're trying to reach. I think that to me would be, you know, how to do it right. So you're hiring photographers that are shooting people or people that are in the marketing room would be like, hey, I know how this could look good, how it would look natural and not look like you just found a black person on the corner and was like, yo, I got $20 for you. You know, let be in this thing with me. Like, isn't that dangerous in this situation? To approach a stranger? (laughs) Yes, don't do that. No, but I mean, like, if you hire a writer's room for the mountain bike industry, then there's no people of color there. Yeah, but that's only if that's who they're not trying to, if they're only trying to target the current demographic, then that's what the room's going to look like. If they want, thank you, if they want (laughs) the writership to look different, then that writer's room needs to change. I don't think it's like fire everybody that's already there (laughs) and replace it with only black people. That sounds wonderful to me, but that's not what we're asking for. (laughs) Um, Like actual diversity. And if it's not, it's not an erasure of white men (laughs) or women. It's just being inclusive of more types of people. Yes. And and we good there? Did, Did that answer your question? Well, I have one more thought, uh-huh. a, a question for everybody, because I think they're doing it well, and maybe it's pretty recent, but Machines for Freedom? Yes, that's yeah. So I think they're doing a fantastic job the within the industry, different body types, different ages, different skin tones, yeah. different, like, and then the kit accommodates that with the lengths and the little, little so Machines for Freedom within the industry, I think, is doing a great job. It's like two people. It's, it's, two, it's two white women. <laughs> I don't think it's in someone's house. No, it's, 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 Is it? But, but it's amazing. It's amazing. Oh, wait, they're not like what about Target? Though. Yeah, they got they got they got they purchased got, by yeah, Specialized. Which is, but, which is all for all the better. Yes, yeah, they are yeah. still their own company. They do a very good job. Does an 
the, I think the thing that they do well also, the, the, the two of them, is that they listen to the community and respond to what they hear and what they see. And that's, that's the thing that I've appreciated and that's the thing that I've seen other people appreciate about them, is that when people say things, they listen and they act. Take an action. They take action and they, and they do something with that information. Hi, I'm Lindsay. Um, I am not in the cycling industry, uh, but uh, I may or may not be the wife of one of your panelists. Um, <laughs> and I uh, also work in the nonprofit sector and the community organizing sector and with teenagers on the south and west sides of Chicago for the past 10 years, including Blackstone Bicycle Work. So, woo! Um, but a question I have for each of you is if you had unlimited funds and unlimited power to change the pipeline of diverse or marginalized communities into the cycling industry or create points of access or opportunity I know it's a long-winded question but I always like the future looking questions so like what would you do imagining that like again money and power and authority weren't issues what would you create and what would be that like dream position oh well I kind of well I have been like so this last winter um, I've had this kind of like weird dream, um, but this last winter I did my first um, free ride um, world qualifiers for skiing, um, like big mountain. In um, <laughs> I did terrible. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds very impressive. <laughs> like one of the biggest like this crazy dream that I was having was um, there like are a handful of other like women of color that I know who just crush it at snow sports. And I've been like, hey, like you should come out and compete. We should do this together. And like, it's a huge financial barrier for me. Um, but if I had unlimited money, I would just like have an amazing crew to go and compete with. Side it's note. kind of like a weird niche dream, but it's like, oh, that'd be so sick if that happened. Side note. Brooklyn would like to race the downhill race, <laughs> and we are trying to scheme up a way to get her in the downhill race, but none of us can afford the downhill <laughs> race. So if maybe somebody knows somebody that knows somebody. There's bikes here. Oh, you have a bike. She got a bike. Oh, you got a bike. So if, if any of y'all know how we can get this girl in a downhill race. I think it's like 85 bucks. Yo, let me get the hat out. <laughs> the but oh, that's something that I wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about talent and opportunity like there are for me my thing like you said you wanted to be the best I would like to be the best but I know that there are so many other women out there who are already like currently just like dormantly capable of being so much better than I am mm -hmm. black women women of color and they have all of this talent but no access to that opportunity so I guess to answer your question if I had unlimited funds I would give them access to the opportunity to to do the things that they are capable of because it's just like even for me I've been on this journey for what four or five years now and I'm just now starting to actually be able to be competitive in the sport on a on a plane that's like not oh look guys I showed up and I'm black and I'm racing like I'm actually like competing and doing well and that's first top because 10 UCI finish Woo! but that's because now I have access to the resources that I actually need to be like Elliot versus be like Sam trying to race down here in Chicago because that's what it felt like for a real long time like I had a bike 
but I, I know what was going on. But now we know what's going on. And so if I had unlimited funds and, and, and whatever, that, that opportunity is everything. Like you can't just, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I could be here all day, but who, who who's next? I, uh, so for me with unlimited funds, it goes back to after school. Cause I think about the fact that I think, don't quote me, Michael Jordan over there, but don't quote me on what I'm about to say. I think it's from the hours of like three to six, Monday through Friday, that's when children will get in the most trouble, something of that sort. So I'm really passionate about after school programs. I was a latchkey kid. I know very much about getting home. Mama's not there, but dinner was in the microwave, so don't worry, I was well fed. But to say I would want after school programming that involves more fitness by way of cycling, which also can teach you about being self-sufficient by way of you know being a mechanic, being civically engaged, which is another passion of mine, by learning how to make your making it safe for you to ride your bike to school. Like there are initiatives that exist across the country about riding your bikes to school. And we see exactly where those dead spots are as in where those initiatives don't take off. And it is directly linked to the fact that it's not safe to ride your bike in traffic, right? Um, so for me, it would be a matter of increasing funding around that and even just gym classes most of the schools in the nation are not doing gym because they don't have the resources or whatever the you know make pretend excuse might be so for me it would be about making cycling more accessible to communities that currently only have basketball and football as an option I'm going to be really selfish on this one and say I would spend all of my money on high school robotics teams. Uh, but I, I say that because, uh, partly because I, I help coach a high school robotics team. But also, uh, you know, it, it would be a way to find uh, a pipeline of talent into the bike industry that is outside of it. So not only is it like, you know, you know, black kids from the Southwest side that are on the robotics team, but you know, they are outside of the industry. They have a different perspective and they're smart and talented and are in STEM fields. So like we need that something different in the bike industry. Somebody said, I think you said that we're always kind of churning out the same things, but maybe we're always bringing in the same sort of people. So let's, let's find them somewhere else. That's what I would do. Yeah, for me, it's similar to Lara. It would be about infrastructure and access. So making sure that people have safe streets they can ride on. And even like to the point of having this like little pump tracks sometimes in the city of Chicago, like put pump tracks places so folks can ride on them and like mountain bike courses and cross courses and bring the cross courses back into the city more. But yeah. Oh yeah, change the city policies to allow for more like active spaces in the cities instead of just like these stagnant parks. So, yeah. Bring the cycling to the people. <laughs> I, I agree with Laura as well. I think it's about taking the, the headwinds away from, um, from people. There's, I'll probably botch it, but. Cycling metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> it is like there's, a, there's like a, such an interesting, Malcolm Gladwell did this podcast and he talked about um, people getting education and so all these elite colleges were giving away free education and um, they were like yeah we're not going to get a big uptick in people because we're already giving so much we're already searching for these people of color and these um, diversity like candidates so much that we're not going to find an uptick and you're like so you're saying there's really only like seven percent of people that are smart <laughs> enough to get into Harvard or whatever um, and so they're like yeah like we're looking for it and so what they found was that 
by the time you are in, you know, middle school, it's too late, right? Like I'm like, imagine, imagine what I have to go through to go and be a straight A student when I like have to take care of my family. I have to do this. I don't get like if my car breaks down or whatever, like that's all my money, right? Like I don't have another chance to go and um, fix my bike or whatever. My biking career is over. And so I think it's, it's about creating those opportunities and creating those programs and to where you're like, yeah, biking's cool. Like I can go and ride bikes with my friends and like I have this thing where I can just go on my own and do it for free and stuff like that. So if I had unlimited funds, I would also have a trailer of bikes that I ride across the country. Of course, I don't have a driver's license yet, though, but we can talk about that later. Um, and I drive across the country and I just preach the good word about cycling because cycling is cool. But because of where we or where I have been and, you know, what those preconceived notions have been as Brooklyn brought up it wasn't considered cool in my neighborhood. So when I did start riding, I didn't ride with people in my neighborhood. I'd ride through my neighborhood all the way to Brooklyn to go hang out with Aisha, which was easily like a 17 mile commute, which for some people that's crazy. I don't even think I found 17 miles in Portland. So like the point is, these are the sort of obstacles that we have to face within our own community to be a part of the greater cycling community. And I wasn't even trying to do that. I was just trying to hang out with the homies. And so to even get to this point to where I'm at Sea Otter and thinking about cycling in a much grander way, I just want you to consider that when you finally do get to speak to that, say, one black person in your office that is in the cycling industry, they've already been through so much, so much emotional labor to get to that point. They might not want to talk to you about it. And again, that's okay. I'm Des Bayazi. I'm not with the cycling industry. I'm just brown and wanted to be here um, yeah. and like bikes. But I am Navajo, Native American, and I am in the military. So I definitely kind of understand and can feel a lot of your perspectives. And um, I think there's a lot of people in the room who are here because they can feel that perspective, whether because they're a minority or because maybe they have a friend in the office or they just want to understand, and that's great. Um, but I find for myself, and it sounds very similar to maybe some of your experiences that it can be can be emotionally exhausting to be the one um, and I've it specifically attached my groups myself to hey I'm probably gonna be the only uh, Chris Brown said or Chris Rock says it uh, you've probably met more polo bears in your life than you've met Native Americans so I definitely felt that and have attached my group to like-minded people but I've definitely appreciated uh, the non-minority perspective and the support that uh, maybe many of you have done in in this room um so what are some things that maybe you've either experienced or that people could do better to help support because i think it's different like for me they're like oh does there she goes again you know <laughs> like there that brown girl goes again or i know she's gonna say something like what did i say wrong you know but it's different i think coming from or being backed and supported by maybe um the non-minority perspective so i don't know if you could speak to maybe that actually happening or what you would like to see from like because there's a bunch of powerful people in this room who ha who could help yeah. i have a thought Go ahead. um it some of it goes specifically to race organizers and recently gravel races so i know a lot of gravel races go through native lands and i'm not sure and i haven't heard anything about them doing things to give back to that land and those people so give back and figure out a way to kind of include people in the process of you like 
trudging across their soil. I'll give the example of actually just yesterday where I casually mentioned to Sarah, like, hey, today I was mistaken for Aisha. <laughs> and she's like, we have a lot of work to do. Just acknowledging the fact that what I said was valid, that was enough. Like, thank you for not just saying, oh, crap. I mean, not that Sarah would, but to say, you know, just it, it that goes a long way. Listen to what people say. What might not seem like an issue to issue to you could be a really, really big deal to someone else. Misspelling Aisha's name might not seem like a big deal to you, but this has all to do with her representation about why her name is Aisha, why it's spelled that way. Stevie Wonder, hey. But anyway, the point is, like, the our identity is a really big part and something that is sacred no matter you know how you identify especially when you are the minority in the room it's like this is really important to me to be seen as a black woman so when you say you don't see color or you misspell my name you don't put the accent on the i on my last name my last name is solis accent on the i when you don't do that you don't see me so just keep in mind that although it might not be important to you respect that it might be important to someone else Oh, so thank you to Sarah for seeing that yesterday. I'll have a short, yeah. I think <laughs> what we're pretty much saying is just like, we're, if you think about, for at least for me, like, I just want to be seen as just a person, you know what I mean? Like, and that's not to say, like, don't see color. That's to say, like, see me as black and see me as my own person and, um, and don't try to make it something it's not like I think we all have really strong opinions that we've all thought about this because we um, deal with it a lot and so we might have more developed opinions about it but I think it's the same like if if somebody goes and like says something to you that you don't like like you don't like it or whatever you know and it's the same for us um I think a lot what can people do um I think a lot of people can um, be superheroes. Like, if you're a white dude in this room, then you've got, like, superpowers. <laughs> um, you or you think you do. But, like, you have the opportunity to, um, you know, step back and let people um, have their space to share um, and be vocal. Or you can be that person. Or sometimes it's important to, like, step in front and be, you know, a protector, be an uplifter. Um, I think we all kind of like have our like superpower like roles that we fill and just figuring out a way to use those like roles for good. That's like, wait, wait. Didn't Peter Parker's uncle say that? Yeah. Where there's great power, there's great responsibilities. So if you are a white man in the cycling industry, I'm just saying. Speaking of which, if you have not seen Into the Spider-Verse, it's so it's good. So good. <laughs> And as far as diversity in like film and just cartoons, I we took our nephew because he likes Spider-Man and expected to hate every minute of it. And it was so good. And I think everyone should see it because they finally have a like person of color as Spider-Man and crushed it. It's so good. Okay. Anyone else? All right, cool. Have you had an example of like someone that is not a POC who has done it well as far as being a good champion for people of color? Um, I think my favorite, <laughs> I think my favorite non-POC champion is Anna Schwinn because she's like ride or die. Like she will be a megaphone if you need her to be. And I honestly do wish that more people were as dedicated and not even just for black folks. like. 
animal ride for anybody mm -hmm. um, that needs it. And I think she gets a real bad rep because she's so vocal and so loud. And I think a lot of people are afraid of that, but she like embraces it and does it. Um, and I think um, there's this concept of like ally versus co-conspirator where you feel like, oh, I'm, you know, helping the people. And it's like, no, I'm gonna like get down there with the people and make sure that I am make like making sure my folks hear what they need to say and see what needs to happen so that it's a priority and it's urgent because unfortunately not everybody's going to listen to us but they might listen to you especially if you're a cisgendered white man for some reason that works out really well because and along that with ally versus co-conspirator just because you're not against me doesn't mean you're for me you're, if you're not taking an active role taking action then it's not that you're for me you are just by the sideline and all right you do that you live your life there but the populations that are on my instagram feed and the people who i have access to are going to be a lot different to who you have access to so if you see you know sam in a picture doing something great and you share that with other folks now you have shared that with your your population of folks and they're like oh shoot black girls ride bikes yes they do and you know it just it gets the conversation started because again you have access that we don't have access to um just to like add a like a quick little instagram point you we all have like these phones that have instagram on them i think like representation is really important for us but i think it's important for everybody to see who is out there and they're is so many different ways that you can connect with new people. And I think Instagram is a really good tool. Um, I feel like a lot of us probably like either cruise pink bike or we have like our different websites that we go to. Like if we can get more media like um, that like features different people, if you keep on scrolling and you're seeing the same thing, like when I was younger and I kept on seeing the same blonde lady like climbing mountains I was like I need to see different things so like you can make small changes you can decide to follow all these incredible people on Instagram you can see what they're doing keep up with them um, I think there's a lot of ways that we can be proactive about changing what we're seeing okay my last point because you just because you just said like being proactive about what we're seeing because again as it's been mentioned by multiple people a lot of us are used to seeing brown people in the cycling industry in a particular way where you're either you know you know pobrecito uh know how you say that in english um <laughs> poor little person there from the hood that doesn't have access to bicycles until they're 17 years old and that one was a borrowed one from an ex-boyfriend but anyway it's like no it's okay to share just more positive experience or see black people in a positive light in places of power or in places of strength and places of awesomeness being like Michael Jordan in the industry. And so allow that to be internalized, even if it's so passive, because you know, it's just us scrolling through Instagram. But when you're not only seeing us in this one way as poor little kids in some country in Africa, because Africa is a, a, a continent, it's not a country. Um, then it gets, <laughs> it changes the way that you internally are processing the interactions you're having with black people that you meet in this industry where you're not just like, oh my God, wow. It's like, no, it's okay. You see them all the time on your phone. So you're not like 
stunned and you don't all think that we're all Aisha, so that's also good. I like you though, but. Yeah, I think some, you whispered it, I don't think anyone heard it, but it's like celebrate our differences. I think it's super important to acknowledge, like I said before, that we're all very different and have di different experiences and all of that. Um, and understand, like, I don't know how I'm gonna put this. Um, it's really frustrating when we get confused, um, like when you confuse us for each other, but there's this confidence that some people have about it, where it's like, just introduce yourself and say, hi, my name is such and such, and give us an opportunity to tell us who you are, who we are, if you don't know for sure. Because I've had people confirm that someone else is me because I've been so visible and I'm literally the only black person that they know that rides a bike and that's not okay. It's frustrating for me, it's frustrating for them, and it's an insult to everybody. And I think it seems like such a small thing to some folks, but it's actually a really big deal. And something that simple can make a huge difference and go a long way for not just like our sanity, but like your awareness of things. Look at our faces. <laughs> They're different. <laughs> They're so different. Are you, <laughs> They're so different. Are you, are you saying not all black people look alike? I, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. Any other questions? It's not a question so much as a comment. Um, a lot of talk about action. And I think it's really important for people to realize action leads to money and revenue. Okay? <laughs> Money and <laughs> revenue leads, or action leads to money and revenue and future sales. Because you all and me and my kids, we're the future. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bill, thank you. Thank you, Kate, wherever you are. Um, but that's it. Yeah. That's, the one, that's the one thing. Think about the business. There was a, there was a, um, near, where, near where I live in Chicago and South Shore, there was a, a like golf, what do you call that? Country club? There was a country club and they wouldn't let nobody in, but I think it was like Protestant white people. To the point where the neighborhood around them changed and they literally went bankrupt. And then the city bought them out and now everybody can go there and it's great. But like, don't just like stay in the black, you know? Like don't go bankrupt because, yeah. <laughs> but also. <laughs> Jeez. Catch it. Oh, Catch Ruby. It. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that ain't Ruby. That ain't Ruby. But it's somebody. It's somebody. They matter. I just, first of all, want to say thank you for the information, for the education. Thank Honestly, you. I took a lot of notes. <laughs> Um, you talked about authentic inclusion, and I work for a nonprofit in Santa Cruz. We offer, it's called Girls Rock, and we offer free rides to women every month. And I'm curious, how can we authentically include people? Because I feel like we have social media platforms, and that's primarily how we um, spread the word. And I truly would feel not authentic if I specifically targeted people because I want everybody to ride with me. It's not a personal thing, but how is it perceived? 
Because if I say, hey, come ride with us, I mean, you want more diversity, but you don't want to. Does that make sense? I don't want to yeah, ask. So you said to ask the difficult questions, so yeah, I'm yeah, asking yeah. it, okay? So my my opinion on this is to to meet people where they are, right? So what's going on in neighborhoods that you would like to include that you can like tack on to yeah. or help lift up, right? But I just feel like does that come off as not authentic? Because authentically, I would go everywhere and talk to everyone and I would love it, but is it perceived as not authentic if, you know, my little white button shows up and like, come ride with us? Like, does that seem not authentic to people? Because sometimes I feel like maybe that just doesn't come off well. Does that make sense? Um, I think if it like comes from like, like genuine like oh, it is. understanding yeah then it will be very clear okay um good but i think it goes back to like that you know you know uncom being uncomfortable yeah um i think that in order to make change we have to be uncomfortable i guess i should clarify the reason why i think it would be perceived as inauthentic is because most of the women look like me so th that so that might be a better background like I want more people to come ride with us, more diversity, and have like a great time on these rides. And so if I say that and they go to our Facebook page and mm -hmm. they look at our photos, mm -hmm. I don't want it to look not sincere. I would say, and I think you mentioned like meeting people in person and doing this. Yeah. I think that goes a long way for two reasons. One, if you're doing this on social media, and like you said, most people look like you, then right. it's very likely that most people who follow you look like you so the people that look like me don't follow you and know that you want them to ride with them but it's also easier to come across as authentic as you keep mentioning in person so if you are at say a uh a bonanza yeah. at a school in a neighborhood that has more people that look like me and you know you have you you never heard of a bonanza a church bonanza <laughs> in a basement somewhere <laughs> But you know, you yeah. you have your table, you've got your cards, or you know, you have the other ladies, and it might be a group of white women, right. and because that's who's riding right now. Yeah. But you showed up to my neighborhood, so first of all, props because you showed up to my neighborhood okay, church bonanza, and <laughs> and you're there and you're smiling. You have coffee or you know whatever it is. Essentially, you're meeting people where they are. Yeah. That I'm gonna notice that you came to my neighborhood to do that thing. Okay. Other people might not care, but those people, you don't want them to ride with you anyway. So it's okay. Like, it's the people who do notice you and who are going to show up. And then it becomes easier. And you might just have that one black person in the photo. I will say, if you have only one black person who shows up, don't always put them in the middle. We know what you're doing. Like, don't, don't do that. That's awkward. Let them stand wherever they want. I, I don't know how your rides are organized, mm -hmm. um, but it might also mean starting a ride where people have better access to you so showing up at the bonanza but a bit like advertising a ride that would be convenient for those folks that you'd like to reach like if they have to come to an area that they don't normally exist in that might be a huge barrier for them or even just in like motivation like i'm not trying to go over there to do this bike ride for that lady i've never met before um if you you know, literally come to where they are, you might have more success. And don't just do it once, because I just, I'm, I'm testing you now. Yeah. I'm testing your resolve. And that's fair. Because if you only showed up once, I'm like, oh, she ain't mean it. But then if I see that, and I'm sorry, what's your name? Kelly. If I see that Kelly shows up every first Thursday of the month, she's always at the Bonanza. 
Kelly's a ride or die. I'm going to show up for Kelly because Kelly's consistent. If you can show up, then I can show up for you. To echo what Brooklyn was saying, um, it might feel inauthentic to someone, but if you are coming from a genuine place, yeah. that's it. That does count for something, and, and consistency counts for even more than that. Yeah, that's my fear. Like I don't want to come off like I'm not. Genuine. You might, yeah. but that's a part of the discomfort and the awkwardness, and that it has to be worth it to you to deal with that yeah. if it actually means that much to you. But we can't decide how people are going to feel about it. You just have to take that risk. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I Wow, it is time. It's six o'clock. Right. Um, thank you so much. Um, so wait, wait, wait. Thank you so much to Brooklyn, um, not Brooklyn, Brooke, I'm sorry, so many Brooks and Brooklyns. Brooke and Sarah from Liv and SRAM for asking us to do this and creating this space and create for these tables for us to sit at. Um, thank you so to the snacks, the refreshments, um, and thank you to Elliot and Sam and David and Brooklyn and Laura and myself. Uh, thank you to me um, for being here. And thank you all of you for being here for what could be a very uncomfortable conversation and you showed up anyway, so we appreciate that. And feel free to find us. We are very reachable in places. Okay, bye.